Hi, and welcome to Almost Believable, the podcast uncovering the truth about conspiracy theories, unsolved mysteries, and having a laugh while doing it. My name is Ruby, and this is the first episode, um, which is pretty exciting, as this is something I've been wanting to do for a really long time now. I'm joined with my wonderful boyfriend, Nick. How are you going? I'm good. How's it going? Good. I'm excited. Are you excited to I'm be here? I'm read and ready to go, mate. Um, I guess I just want to start off with, like, what's your view on conspiracies? Do you have a favourite? Are you a sceptic? What, you know, where do you sit when it comes to conspiracies? I'm 100% uh, a sceptic. Uh, I haven't come across a conspiracy theory that I think is well-rounded enough. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are, you know, a little bit far-fetched. Someone's done a little bit of too much digging into things. Found a few coincidences, I think. Yeah, none of them have really tickled my fancy, as you could say. I mean, yeah, fair enough. But hopefully I've got, well, I've got a couple up my sleeve. So hopefully we'll be able to convert you to more of a conspiracy fanatic than skeptic. I'm excited. Today we're going to talk about one of my favourite conspiracies, um, which is regarding whether the Titanic really sank. Um, I know you've heard me talk about it a lot and you're probably sick of me talking about it but I guess I'm really curious to know what your take is on it and what your opinions and your thoughts and feelings are about it um so I think this will be really interesting and a bit of fun so let's get into it The White Star Line was a prominent shipping company which was founded in 1845 and it was responsible for the production of the Titanic in the early 1900s as well as its sister ship um, which was called the Olympic. The Olympic costed the company um, around $7.5 million at the time so it was pretty much their pride and joy. They put everything they could into this ship so it was very, very special to them, um, and these these ships were very state of the art for their time, um, and were a feat of engineering, especially when cruise ships um, weren't really common, I guess. And and the idea of like a pleasure cruise was a very new idea in the 1900s. So it was all kind of beginning to become popular, I guess. Um, and this company, the White Star Line, had several big millionaire bankers who invested a lot of money into the ships. Um, And I guess it's fair to say that the White Star Line had, was under a lot of pressure to produce really, you know, high quality ships and, and I guess stay afloat as a business. Um, So they're big time. Yeah. They're like the big leagues. Yeah. All right. right. (laughs) Yeah. It was the big leagues back in the 1900s. Um, But we're going to now take a look at the Olympic um, and specifically the date, 20th of September, 1911. And the Olympic was involved in a collision with the HMAS Hawk, which was a British um, warship. Um, The Hawk lost her bow, so one of the main parts of the ship had nearly capsized as a result due to, like, such extensive damage. Um, And obviously a legal trial ensued, which decided that the blame for the incident lay with the Olympic, um, despite several, you know, eyewitness accounts blaming the Hawk for the collision. There was a lot of sort of back and forth and they did this, they did that sort of thing. 
Um, but during the trial, a theory was established that the large amount of water that was displaced by the Olympic created like a suction that drew, um, sort of had drawn the hawk off its course and sort of... Into the collision. Yeah, sort of sucked it all in there. Yeah. Um, so what what kind of damage did the Olympic have if the, um, the hawk almost capsized? Did the Olympic, you know, did they just brush it off? Because no, by so, the looks of things, these things were built like a tank. Yeah, so I believe the collision actually caused the Olympic to lean to one side, um, particularly on the left side, um, and also had sort of damage along the side of the hull. Um, And so it kind of, obviously, the repairs were going to be quite a lot of money and it was a financial disaster for the White Star Line because they didn't get any money from the trial because they were responsible Um, and, you know... it was their pride and joy and, and now it's, you know, out of commission and has to get repaired. So that was just a huge sort of disaster for them um, and, you know, just set them back immensely. Um, and so I guess the other side of the coin is that how, it, like, even though the Olympic had taken such a serious collision, it appeared to kind of reinforce their sort of reputation around their ships being unsinkable. Um, And so this reputation, I guess, came about because um, particularly the Titanic and the Olympic were um, constructed in a way that the hull was divided into 16 different components, and these components were presumed to be watertight. But because four of these components could be flooded without causing, you know, any issues to the ship's buoyancy... That's kind of why they were considered unsinkable. So you could take on water in four of the 16 places yeah. and still stay afloat. Yeah, which is pretty crazy at that it's time. pretty impressive. Like, huge feat of engineering. Um, and I guess, yeah, it just, I guess, fostered that idea that they were unsinkable and one of the safest, you know, ships in the world at the time. So once this collision had happened and the legal trial sort of got, fin- like, finished up, um, the Olympic was sent back to Belfast and had to be patched up and it took, you know, over six weeks to, to kind of get it to, you know, a similar or, you know, some standard where it could be sailed again. Um, but they ended up taking parts from the Titanic and, and also that meant that the Titanic's voyage was just getting delayed further and further back mm-hmm. and, and the, the completion of that ship was just you know, just getting pushed back further and, and it was costing them more money and it was just, yeah, overall just not a great time for the White Star Line. Um, but in late November of that year, the Olympic was back in service, so I think the White Star Line was pretty, like, confident in that, you know, things are going to be all right. But unfortunately... Oh, here we go. Yep. <laughs> the February of 1912, the Olympic actually lost a propeller blade on a voyage to New York, um, which was caused by it hitting um, a submerged derelict, which is just part of some ships, um, which was not uncommon at the time with so many old sort of wooden-hulled vessels still around. Um, And so that meant that it had to return back to Belfast again. So, you know, back and forth, back and forth, lots of money. Yeah, lots of money. And these propeller blades were really... um, you know, expensive and really sort of, um, I guess, individual to the ship. Like, they weren't something that they could you could just easily replicate, you know, just 
out of you know out of the hat like you had to you know take time to you had to make a whole new set of propelled blades you couldn't just repair it yeah pretty much um so you know that set them back and again um the you know to get the olympic back in service the company had to again pull resources from the titanic which delayed her voyage from march to april of that year and i guess ultimately the olympic was just out of commission like they just couldn't do anything with it at the time um, but whilst it was getting repaired, um, the Olympic was getting repaired, it sat at the dock in Belfast um, alongside the Titanic. Um, and so next to each other, the ships are pretty much indistinguishable. Like, you couldn't tell them apart unless you were reading the nameplates practically. Like, very, very similar, which is kind of eerie, and I don't know how I feel about that, but just, just bizarre. That they make the same ship twice almost. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, maybe it was because they, you know, were so set on the Olympic, you know, and that sort of the way they engineered that was so good perfect. and perfect yeah. and, you know, um, they thought, you know what, we'll make, we'll make two of them. Um, so I guess this is where you have to pay attention because this is the moment where the ships could have been swapped. Okay, what do you mean swapped? So, I guess, well, we have to ask ourselves, why would the ships be swapped? Um, but why would they be swapped? Exactly, and, what, you know, what would lead anyone to want to do that, right? Please tell me. <laughs> so, it's pretty complicated, but I'm going to try and explain it as best I can. Um, but if they had people board the Olympic thinking it was the Titanic... And some incident happened by accident whilst out at sea, the White Star Line would be able to claim insurance money and wouldn't have to put that money that they got into repairing a ship that was already broken as that ship would be at the bottom of the ocean and out of the way. So you're telling me this whole thing is just insurance scam to get money? 100%. Yep. Oh my God, here we go. So... Ultimately, the, the White Star Line would gain insurance money and then they could put that towards the Titanic or building another ship or, you know, just keeping their investors happy. Yeah. Because the, the ship that was causing all the problems, i.e. the Olympic, is gone. Okay. It's out of the way. It's sunk at it's the bottom of the ocean. It's sunk at the bottom of the ocean and they also got money for it. So yep. it's a win-win. It's just done. It's just gone. Because okay. it was it was causing them so many problems and so much financial hardship that they just thought, see ya, get All it right. done. Um, so, that you know, pretty crazy. But we're going to now think... So when I refer to the Titanic, we're now going to think of it as the Olympic in disguise, right? As All the right. Titanic. Um, and so the, so the plan was devised. The White Star Line undertook extensive changes to make the Olympic look more like the Titanic. Um, and I guess the reason why they did this was because if they didn't and people boarded the, the ship, they'd be going, why are there stains on the carpet? Why isn't the furniture mm, brand okay, new? You know? yeah. So they, they actually ripped out carpet. They put new carpet in. You know, they, they tried their best to make them even more identical, which wasn't hard to do in the first place. Um, you know, and, and other parts of the ships were being changed in terms of taking out cabins and swapping them so that the decks were the same and, you know, it all sort of connected and, and was just indistinguishable. And, um, 
you know, I guess the other really interesting piece of evidence is that when the Titanic was pictured being built, it had 14 evenly spaced portholes. Yep. But when it left Southampton on April 10th, 1912, it had 16 unevenly spaced portholes. You're kidding me. No. So. Portholes aren't something you just, you know, cut a hole, you know, in the hull of the ship and chuck a new one in. No. <laughs> it doesn't seem that easy, mate. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but. No, I, I agree with you there. And it's pretty crazy because a photo of the shipwreck at the bottom of the ocean was um, enhanced several times and they found that the ship that's at the bottom of the ocean did have 16 unevenly port, uneven portholes. Wow. What ship had uneven portholes? The Olympic. Ah, here okay? we go. So, I mean, it's pretty damning evidence in terms of, like, m- sort of proving that the swap could have been legit, right? Almost believable. Almost believable, yeah. But not only not only is that like that's not the only piece of evidence that just freaks me out. This this bit also just like blows my mind. There were several accounts of individuals who had worked on the Titanic in Belfast um who agreed that there was a plan to ship um to swap ships. Paddy Fenton, who was a 20-year-old who worked on the ship, confirmed along with his other workmates that there was an insurance scam going on and the White Star Line was definitely aware of it. Um, and Paddy, uh, there's a quote from Paddy in regards to this whole switch, which states, When the surviving crew got to port, they were all taken aside and met by two men, one in a high position in the company, the other man was in a very high position in the government. The government man read the crew the Official Secrets Act, explaining that if they told of the real reason for the sinking or the rumours of an insurance scam, they would serve a minimum of 20 years in jail and would never get a job when they got out. Right? Pretty crazy. They couldn't have named it any other, anything else. No, it had know. to be the Official Secrets Act. Secrets Act. Yep. Yeah, okay. All they right. might as well just called it, like, We Did Swap Ships Act. Yeah. The, the Insurance Scam <laughs> Act. Yeah, pretty much. And I guess at a time where luxuries were not, you know, so available to the millions of poor people at the time, you know, who who worked in order to provide for their family, you know, they toiled for long hours in mills, mines, factories, docks, you know. People couldn't afford to not work. So, you know in order to provide for their families and also just their survival, I'm imagining these workers just kept their mouths shut in order to keep their job. Like, because, you know, what else was there to do? You can't, you you know, you have to get an income somehow. Yeah, but don't you think that the pain and the economic, you know, hardship that the families would endure would be worse if the workers, presumably probably the husbands and the fathers of the families would die out at sea than if they were just out of a job for a bit? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely an interesting point. Um, But I guess they didn't know for sure that they wanted to sink the ship. 
Well, yeah, and I, I will touch on that a little bit further. I think the intention wasn't to k- kill anyone, to harm anyone. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, plans went a bit south, and I will delve into that uh, a little bit further. But I think ultimately, yeah, they didn't intend to harm anyone in any way. Okay. But at the other side, maybe they did want these people to be on board the ship so that they were dead and couldn't start rumours. Oh, okay. And couldn't express to their family or express to friends or people... That they'd heard these things. Yeah. yeah right. So there's there's two sides to every story here, you know? Like, it's pretty... Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, but we're going to now take a look back at the millionaire bankers, um, one of which was this guy called J.P. Morgan. And he surprisingly cancelled his trip at the last minute, claiming he was too ill to travel. Oh, yeah. (laughs) However, he was spotted in France two days later, like perfectly fine, healthy, well, just walking around France. So this bloke is some celebrity, right? He's Ryan Reynolds or something. Yeah, like he's a millionaire in the 1900s, like pretty crazy. So what, some bloke in France was like, oh, yeah, it's old J.P. Morgan, here we go. I Probably. know that he's supposed to be on the Titanic, here he <laughs> well, is. Well, that's the thing, because J.P. Morgan had publicly spoken out and certified that he would de- definitely be going aboard the ship. Like, he he had no... Like, he convinced everyone that, I'm going on the ship, like, I've invested, I've put all this money and time into it, you know. And then just, you know, dips. goes off, dips to France, so, goes to- Bonjour or something. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then, like, even another family cancelled due to being sick, apparently, but were spotted on a holiday in Wales. Like, who are these people spotting them? Private <laughs> <laughs> investigators, like, out tracking them down. What's going on? But um, it just makes me think, like, surely these investors knew then that something was going to happen to this ship. And another really funny thing that I just find. So, like, it's just funny, but it's also, like, this has to have happened if this guy, J.P. Morgan, right, he had several bronze statues removed from the ship an hour before it was set off to sail on its maiden voyage. (laughs) Like, this bloke invested some money into these nice bronze statues and thought, you know what, I know this ship's going to sink, so I might just go in and take him. Wait, so... They were his bronze statues? <laughs> yes. That he put on the ship? Yes. And then they were just like, nah, 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 I actually want those back. I'm sick. I need these healing. <laughs> Maybe that's the real conspiracy here, that these bronze statues have, like, healing, healing properties. Oh, my God. We're getting... Yeah, wow. I mean, it, potentially. Potentially. We, we're doing well, a conspiracy next inside episode. a conspiracy. Yeah, next, next episode. episode. J.P. Morgan, our man. But isn't that just bizarre? Like, he... He removed them like an hour before. It was just like, I feel like that has to mean that he knew something, mm, right? He, he couldn't lose his busts, valuable busts, bronze busts of pretty women or whatever it was. Anyway, we're gonna move on now to a bit more of a serious note, I guess. Um, which was obviously the fateful day in 1912 when the Titanic, which we're assuming is the Olympic in disguise, um, set sail. And another, coincidentally, another White Star Line ship um, called the Californian was out at sea at the same time as the Titanic left Southampton, which is interesting because at the time there was a shortage in coal. 
So the fact that like a coal famine. Coal famine, yes. Coal was on strike. Coal strike. Coal strike. All right. For the country. Um, so the fact that the White Star Line was able to even locate enough coal to not only power the Titanic, which was going from Southampton to New York, I think. Um, that's, that's a, a big ship. Big, and a big, big ship, a lot of distance. They weren't going at quite high speeds, which I'll get into later. But that they could also power just another ship that they had is pretty crazy. So yeah. that's really interesting. But I guess one of the most intriguing things about the Californian is that he left London with no passengers. All right, so just just crew, no passengers, and was instead carrying a small cargo of blankets and warm clothes. Tell me, tell me why a White Star Line ship that set off for sale at the same time as the Titanic was carrying just blankets and clothes. Maybe J.P. Morgan needed a new fit or something because he's going to France. <laughs> needed a new French fit. Yeah, I mean, some pantaloons or something. <laughs> pantaloons, yeah, I mean, potentially, but it's a bit suspicious. And I guess the, the theory is maybe these this cargo was for the surviving passengers and crew um, from oh, the Titanic. I see where you're getting at. Because it just seems odd, right, that these two ships would set off sail at the exact same time pretty much and one was only carrying clothes and, you know, um, just, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just interesting. But, um, again, another crazy point is, so the Californians sent a signal to the Titanic of all the locations of the icebergs that were in the area and surrounding the Titanic's course. But this message was actually held from ever reaching the Titanic. Like, it was held for a certain period of time. So it got to the Titanic delayed. Um, and I've done, I've done some research into this and, um, you know, it, it is a bit mind-boggling as to why this, this was held. Um, and, you know, the Titanic did receive another six warnings of icebergs from surrounding ships, but it was travelling at such a fast speed, I think 22 knots, that even when they did sight the, the icebergs, it was it was too close. Like, they couldn't slow down. Like, they were going to hit it regardless. Like, they couldn't do anything to avoid it. Um, and so the ship's lookouts, like, by the time they could even respond, it was too late and the ship was already going to collide. Um, and... The, ship look, the ship's lookout, um, two of which were Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee, didn't even have access to binoculars during the journey. Isn't that their whole job, to yes. look out? But this is because at the last second, the ship's second officer was replaced and he forgot to hand off the key to the locker that housed these binoculars for the lookouts. Okay, but did, so how do we know this? Key? How did we know he didn't hand over the key? Is this... Have we found the key or something? So it has been resurfaced in 2010. It was resurfaced and sold at an auction for over 100 grand, I believe. Like Jesus. So this is the key. This that is the key. Sank the Titanic. Pretty much. Surely they could have, you know, sold it for a bit more. A little bit more. Like I would have thought like a mil. Oh, who knows now? Maybe it's sold in 2021. Maybe, yeah, God. But I wonder, like, who, what are you doing with the key now? Like, what is it in a frame? Where is it? What are you doing with it, mate? Who knows? Very interesting. Um, and I guess when the Titanic did hit the iceberg, it was found to be three miles off its course. 
case, so just dipped. <laughs> Which, I mean, does seem a bit unusual. And But didn't you say there was a coals, like, famine? So they couldn't really a- afford just going off course, going sightseeing or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, when you've got a limit to coal and how much you can use in order to get from destination, you know, point A to point B, you'd think we're going to stick to our course as much as we can to avoid using unnecessary energy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, again, like, pretty cool evidence, like, to lean towards this theory being plausible, for me, at least. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are also several accounts that describe how clear of a night it was. So, even if the lookouts didn't have their binoculars, they probably could have seen the icebergs from quite a distance because it was such a clear night. And it, you know, they should have been able to see it from apparently eight miles ahead. I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but you would have thought it's clear night. No, 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 you know, no clouds. You could probably see them. They're quite big. Mm. But again. uh, And so I'm just going to backtrack a little bit to the Californian. Um, So when the Titanic did sink... It's, it's commonly believed that the Californian was actually late to respond to the, you know, the Titanic's... It, 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 you know, it was late to respond to what was going on with the Titanic. So the SOS signal or something like that. Yeah, so the Californian had stopped for the night due to, like, the dangers and how many icebergs were around. And so the radio opera- operator was then allowed to go to sleep, which he did. Yeah. And at 11.50, Officer C.V. Groves noticed that the Titanic's lights flashed um, unusually and briefly um, as if it was turning. But in reality, this was when the Titanic had hit the iceberg already. Okay. So the, I think the Titanic hit the iceberg around 11.40, and yeah. this guy noticed at 11.50 that something was going on. Yeah. These flashing lights were unusual and, and should have been enough to you know, take some sort of action, but no one woke up the radio operator. They just let him sleep. Like, oh, oh yeah, just have a nap. He's had a long day, this guy. Oh, let him oh. sleep. His head's heavy. Let yeah. him have a little bit of a nap. <laughs> oh, he's dead to the world, that guy. Oh, don't worry about it. Instead, the California started sending some Morse code signals to the Titanic, but the Titanic was too far away to even receive these. No. Oh. So that was kind of far-fetched and didn't get anywhere like they you know didn't do much and then another officer herbert stone notified the captain of the californian that the ship had fired five rockets at 1:10 a.m so like flares or something yeah and at 1:50 a.m reported that the ship looked weird okay But around 5.30 in the morning, when old mate, the radio operator, woke up... Oh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. ...heard the news that all... You know, about all the information that was ignored over the night and how at 2.15am the crew couldn't even see the Titanic anymore. It was gone. This guy wakes up and goes, oh, crap. Better, uh, Better start responding to those signals. So he tried to communicate with them. Obviously, nothing happened. And the Californian left immediately to assist. But when it arrived, all the survivors had been rescued by other ships that had been around. And I guess it was determined that it was possible 
And what it was in fact possible for the Californian to have helped the Titanic, but yeah. it and that it was actually the captain's fault that it didn't do anything. Jeez. Um, and you know, ultimately, if they had done more and probably been a bit more proactive, they could have saved majority of people's lives. Mm. Um, so that's pretty full on, and it's also interesting that that was a White Star Line ship. You know. Yeah. Interesting. Hang on a second. I got a quick question before you keep going. Mm. Didn't you say these ships were built like it? Well, I said they were built like a tank. Mm. So wouldn't it have been able to like maybe survive an iceberg hit? Like how big were they? Yeah. So like these ships were huge and it is pretty well known um, that the Titanic, as I said, was con- had that reputation of being unsinkable and... Basically, the collision, the way that the iceberg hit, so when it came in, the ship started to turn to try and avoid it, but because they were going too fast and it was too late, they the iceberg scraped along the side ah. of the ship. But if the iceberg had hit the front of the ship or the stern of the ship and yeah. it just kept going straight, the ship would have been fine. The passengers and crew would have most likely all survived because the ship was able to take on that collision. It would have maybe sunk slower or something like that. Yeah, or, or maybe would have had a dent in it and yeah. had a little bit of damage. But it was built purposely for that reason, like yeah, to be okay. able to just go through it, essentially. So did it hit on the same side that the Olympic had damage on? I believe so, yes. So they just they just hit the crit spot. Yeah. Like, the headshot, just yeah. bang, turn straight into the weak spot. Pretty much. The repair spot, bang, and just sink sink the bugger. Yeah. And I'm going to get into this whole thing now about, like, the collision and how... So, incredible as it seems, the forces... All of the forces of that iceberg hitting were, are similar to, like, a vessel being struck by a battleship or something. The collision passed unnoticed by most of the people on board, right? And although it was immediately obvious, it wasn't... It, 50, 45 minutes had gone by before passengers were even alerted of any danger. So, I mean, that's interesting, right? Yeah, why would, kind how of, did they not know that they hit something? Well, Exactly. That it's bizarre, and why weren't people alerted to start getting on yeah. safety boats or something? So, during the collision, another thing was found that the watertight integrity of like a fireman's passage deep inside the ship was um, breached, which concludes that you know something harder than ice had penetrated the hull. And this is interesting because going back to Paddy Fenton, the guy who worked on the ship, he had always maintained that the iceberg alone didn't just sink the ship, that there was something oh. more. And it was the addition, he says, of a fire in the coal um, the the coal rooms. bunkers. The coal bunkers, yeah. That had been going on for a week and everyone knew about it. The, the, the crew knew about it and weren't, weren't doing anything about it. But then when the ship did hit the iceberg, it did the damage to the side, but then when the cold water hit, hit the coal fire, it exploded Wow. And caused the fatal damage, which we now know was when the ship split in half. Split in two. Right. the ship breaks in two. I've always thought that. Yeah. Because if it just had a hole, it would just go down all in one. But yeah. it's 
it's split in two, like the shipwrecks. In two parts. Wow. And I guess once, obviously, once the crew knew that, like, the Titanic was in strife, they sent out red, white, and blue signals instead of just the recognised white ones, which is weird. Um, because why would you send up more than you had to? Fourth of July or something. Fourth of July, yeah. Woo, fourth of July, let's, Red, white, and blue. Great Gatsby up in here. Um, and yeah, as I said, like, the ship tried to turn, but, you know, it, it, that wasn't any help. Like, it just made it worse. So, you know, everyone's panicking now. It's getting to the, you know, the ship's starting to sink. People are going, crap, we need to save ourselves, save our families, um, you know, all that. And everyone's going, got to get on lifeboats. Got to get on these lifeboats. Yeah. Funnily enough, a lifeboat drill that was supposed to take place the day of the sinking was cancelled by the ship's captain. Oh, all right. And it was never concluded or ne- it was never made clear as to why it was cancelled. Right, no one gave a reason. It was it just, just cancelled. had too much for lunch or something. Couldn't be bothered. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, when you think about how many people were on board, you, over 2,000 people, there were not life, enough lifeboats to fit that many people. So already you're going, like, we don't have enough boats for these people. That's why they got out the doors, you know, the one that Rose and Jack. Rose, Jack and Rose are on, yeah, exactly. They they thought, oh, crap, we've got to throw some doors overboard. They float, right? Yeah. So it just makes me wonder, like, was that all part of the plan, not to have enough lifeboats? Or, like, it, you know, it is it is a bit, it, it, it does you know, make me question it a little bit. But if you're saying they intended to sink the ship, wouldn't they have enough lifeboats for everyone? Because they didn't want to kill anyone. Well, yeah, as I said earlier, like, the alleged intent wasn't to kill anyone on board, but, and if the plan had gone without a hitch, the ship would have sunk a lot slower and And would have been closer to other ships such as maybe the Californian that had, you know, the blankets and clothes. That could, you know, rescue all the passengers and crew. So it does make you wonder, maybe they just weren't prepared and thought, oh, we're going to be fine because we're going to sink slowly. So we'll have enough time to get these people off. It doesn't matter if we don't have enough boats. Uh. Um, so it is it is pretty interesting. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to make light of, of what happened. You know, a lot of people lost their lives. I think it was over 1,500 people lost their lives. And it was a horrible thing that has happened in history and you know i'm in no way trying to you know make fun of what happened with talking about this conspiracy but you know i I can't even begin to imagine what it was like you know being on board like the fear and the horror of of losing your life in such a horrible way um and it's just so so unfortunate and i just think it makes me wonder whether the White Star Line was sick enough to come up with a plan like this so that they could just get their insurance money. Because in the end... Did they get the money? They did get the money. Wow, okay. Um, and for the collision and the sinking. So they got their money, which Jeez. is pretty, like, full on. Like, that's pretty... If we're, yeah. if, we're, if we're looking at this theory in its entirety and going, they devised a plan to, you know, basically, you know, insurance fraud and, and people lost their lives when maybe they didn't intend to, that's pretty full on. Yeah. And 
I guess for me, like this theory just seems so plausible because of how easy it would be to swap the ships and act like nothing happened because of how identical they were already and because of how much of financial hardship the White Star Line had already been in and how much pressure they were under in terms of investing and investors and just trying to keep their company ahead of all the others that were also developing at the time. Yeah. So, you know, they were, I guess they were grasping at anything and everything to just keep, keep going and keep their investors happy and, you know, keep their reputation up as, you know, this big company that produces the best ships in the whole world. Um, but yeah, what do you, I mean, that, that's, that's the theory. And, and what, what do you think now? Like, so did the, did the Olympic, the actual Olympic seeing as the Titanic sank, did that ever sail again after what do you mean? So, no, no, we're saying that the Olympic... Yeah, 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 but did the quotation Olympic, yes. the one that didn't sink... Yes. Or the ship that didn't sink, did that sail again afterwards? Uh, I believe so. Did that have the wrong number of portholes? Well, yes, it would have. It would have had the 14 evenly spaced ones because the one that was found at the bottom of the ocean had 16 unevenly spaced ones. Wow. So not only did the blokes not have binoculars, J.P. Morgan caught, pulled a sickie. Took his bronze statues with him. Took his bronze busts. <laughs> the Californian had some warm pantaloons for the survivors. All of that combined, they hit the crit spot on the, on the iceberg, hit the soft spot. Caused an explosion, Caused an explosion. That seems almost believable to me. Oh, God, have I, have I broken you? Are you now believing in this theory after all this time? I don't know. That, a lot of things line up. Most of these conspiracies have, like, one or two things. I mean, a well, at least things... I didn't mention aliens, so, you Yeah, know. I was kind of expecting <laughs> the aliens to come on board or something. I mean, there probably something. is a theory. I think there's a theory about a mummy that cursed the ship. That... Okay, let's not get into that. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty, like, it's pretty full on. And I think it is something that this theory in particular has been something that's always stuck with me um, and has just made me think like, holy crap, if this is true, how messed up, how messed up do you have to be? Like, that's insane. It's crazy. So did any of the survivors ever say anything? Did they ever like speak out about the incompetencies of like the... The captain or anything like that? Because surely that people well, knew. The guy, um, oh, his name, uh, the guy that was working on the ship. Oh, I've forgotten his name. Paddy. 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 Yep. He was on the ship and survived. Oh. So he's the bloke who wrote to the other bloke about the people getting yep. so questioned he, on the he, dock. That's why, that's why that whole quote that I read out yeah. is relevant. relevant because he spoke about it and he was there. Did and he get jail time though for speaking out about it? <laughs> I don't think so. I think Maybe he never got another job. Maybe we maybe gotta check job on was... Patty. Yeah, we gotta check on our mate. But um no, it it is certainly 
an interesting one and I'm glad that we've been able to kind of go through it and I'm glad that I've been able to share it with you and you've actually listened um, for once about my conspiracies because I tend to bore you with them. But um, no, I mean, I'd be interested to hear anyone else who's listening, their take on it, whether I missed out on any important information. Um, And you can reach out to me on my socials, which is currently just Instagram at um, almost believable podcast and that is the same for my email if you would like to message me via that which is just almost believable podcast at gmail.com please feel free to share your own favorite conspiracies or unsolved mysteries um, I'd be so happy to listen to them and even delve into them um, but yeah thanks so much for listening and thank you for joining me Nick it's been thanks great. for having me And, yeah, thank you so much for listening and can't wait to keep going with this and talking about more crazy and, you know, unsolved mysteries. It'll be really, really fun, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to hear me talk (laughs) for 40 minutes. Anyway, thanks for listening. See ya.